It's time to dig in and discuss the questions on the minds of today's leaders. You are listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. This is where we get vulnerable, raw, and authentic about the stuff that really matters. Now, here is your host, Kathleen Reeson. Welcome to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Today's show is called Language, What Your Communication Patterns Reveal About You. And what we're talking about today is that when we speak, we give off certain clues about where our head is, where our mindset is, what our thoughts and beliefs are. Even when we pretend that we're not, we are. And so if you are trained to be able to pick up on these little nuances, which I am, then you can hear where somebody's coming from without them having to say it. How this works is when I listen to someone talking, I hear what they're not saying, what they're saying, and I hear what they're not saying. I hear what's underneath the words. And what that does is give an incredible definition to the words. It gives, it gives context. It gives content. It gives all this deep meaning. And let's even explore that a little bit, because I'm not sure really when we say context versus content, that, that really in this world, we understand what that means. So in case that you don't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to detail this out. So context would be like the container that we're setting. What does it mean around the words? So if you're thinking about, we had dinner last night, we had a soup. And so when we got the, the soup, we ate the soup. And then afterwards, we had leftovers for the soup. And my kids were looking for the container because they clean up after dinner. So we were looking for a container to put the soup in. Soup is the content. It's the meat. But the container that we put the soup into, that's the context. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email become a host at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Today, we're talking about language and what your communication patterns reveal about you. So we were just talking about context versus content. Okay, so context is the center around what your content is. Now, when you're talking about meaning of words, then what we're saying is, what does that mean? Why are we speaking? So thinking about how we're listening. So if I say the sky is yellow, at sunset or at sunrise, the sun can give off a hue where the sky actually does look yellow. So if I'm just listening for the words, for the content, and I hear the sky is yellow, that's the content, those are the words that are coming out of my mouth, I may 
interpret somebody as being wrong because I'm hearing sky, sky is blue, I hear the content. But when I get the context, meaning we're visually describing what we're seeing out in the open world, I understand that that's the context. Then I go into, huh, okay, so sky is yellow. When could the sky possibly be yellow? Now let me understand the content. So context is very important. And when we're really understanding language and communication patterns, you get to see what's really underneath what we're saying. And that becomes critical to the conversation. Deep communication happens when we're looking at both the context and the content. Yet most of us live in a world where all we hear is the content. So when you're speaking and when you're listening, you get to hear both of those. You get to hear the context and the content. So both very important to language and how we hear and how we speak. So one of the things that if you go speak to anyone who is highly talented in the space of linguistics or communication, they would coach you on eliminating vocal fillers. Vocal fillers being um, uh, I, uh, you've heard of all. You might use them, but you hear them and how other people talk. If you go to a place like Toastmasters or any sort of association or club that monitors your language and improves on your speaking skills, they actually charge a fee or they will comment on any time you use a vocal filler. It's not because they wanna put money in their piggy bank, it's because they're coaching you to say vocal fillers aren't supportive. Now, why do vocal fillers happen? Because that's the content, vocal fillers are happening, but let's put it into context. So last week on the show, we talked about different communication styles. So we've got different communication styles. We can understand promoter, supporter, controller, analyzer. Well, all of that is great. And what I can sum that up is some people are comfortable with pauses and some people aren't. Now, how does that relate to communication styles? Typically, your promoter, so yay, this kind of personality, the cheerleader, it does not like pauses. You don't wanna hear pauses in language. When they hear a pause in language, they wanna jump in with something. Their mouth works faster than their brain. The controller, same way. Mouth works faster than brain, when we pause, there must be a problem. That's their come from. Okay, so watch that show if you wanna dig in, get more information on what I'm talking about when I say communication styles, but the promoter and the supporter, the promoter and the controller tend to be jumping over pauses. Anytime they hear a pause, they're gonna jump in and say something. But if words aren't there yet, it's gonna come out as um, uh, 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 uh. There's not gonna be real words that come out. And so their sentences will sound like, I went to the grocery store the other day and um, uh, we bought watermelon and some steak and I, I cooked it and um, it, was it was good, it was really good. Uh, uh, so when you're talking to somebody who does not appreciate the pause, the power of the pause, they fill it. And so you get the vocal filler. So that's the content. The context is understanding that this person is not stupid, this person's mouth is working faster than this person's brain. So giving them the chance to appreciate the past, the coaching, the interruption that gets to happen when you hear this with someone is saying, hey, pause, take a deep breath. I hear you and it's okay to pause. Give them the space that when you're talking, you are demonstrating what a pause looks like. They're going to want to jump in. 
but the interruption and the coaching they get to give them is to stop and appreciate the pause. Now, for a lot of you, as you're listening to me talk right now, this is really uncomfortable because you want to jump in that the chance here is to get your brain to catch up with your mouth because you want those to emanate at the same speed. You want to be comfortable that even when your brain isn't producing the word that gets to come to your mouth, that it's okay, that you know it's okay. And so if you're one of those people that speak with a lot of filler words, notice that. This is a notice moment for you. And next time that that happens, pause, realize that it's happening because awareness is the first key. It's really the first key at everything, but it's the first key in really shifting your language and understanding those communication patterns that are really underneath how you speak. So pause, notice that you are jumping in with words when a pause will work. Now, people that are in the other quadrants, when we talked about communication styles, we've got our supporter and our analyzer. Supporters and analyzers tend to be very comfortable with pauses. But what happens is when they use their pause, if they're talking with a promoter or controller, they'll just jump in during their pause. And so they tend to counteract that and say, I can't take a pause, even though I really want to and I'm okay with that, because if I do, someone else will jump in and steal my space, not let me finish my thought. And so oftentimes you hear the supporters and analyzers catching up with their words. They really want to move at the pace where they give themselves pauses. And so that'll sound like I went to the grocery store and I got some watermelons and uh, I got some ketchup. And, and so they put these words in there, but they're intentional. And, okay, next. So theirs are not fuddle words. Fuddle, uh, mm, uh, mm. Those are more intentional. And so they give themselves those special, those pauses. What they're really doing is saying, hey, promoter, hey, controller, stop interrupting me. I'm not done. I want you to know I'm not done. I want to take a pause, but if I do, you'll interrupt me. So I'm going to give you a poignant word. I'm going to give you a word so that you know that I'm not complete. Now, one way to solve all of this, if you're one of these people that are the supporter and the analyzer, is someone interrupts you while you want that pause, or you hear somebody else doing this, we get to train ourselves and people around us that when we are speaking, we get to ask, are you complete? So if I'm somebody who's interrupting and I catch myself interrupting, I say, oh, Okay, hold on. I see what I did there. Are you complete? And that person then has a chance to say yes or no. Now, until that person says yes, I'm not talking. And now I'm giving that person to give their pause, to really use their pause. Take a deep breath in the middle of their sentence. So all of that gets to happen. So these are really noticing these vocal fillers. Again, if you're if you're working with a coach or a speaking coach or postmasters or group like that, they're going to recognize your vocal fillers. So this is really, really important to just notice what's happening. That's what my invitation is to you. Notice where your vocal fillers are, what your vocal fillers are happening, what's coming up. Okay. So that is number one, vocal fillers. The next one that I want to talk about is the language of should. Should, we should ourselves to death. We should do this. We should take out the garbage. We should go on vacation. We should drive the car to pick up the kids. We should, should, should. Well, 
underneath should, so understand that's your content, but the context of the word should is not about choice, it's about obligation. Somebody told me that this is what it means to be a good parent. I pick my kids up all the time. I'm the only one that can do it. No one else can support me. So underneath should is an obligation. If we just shift the word should to could, I could pick my kids up. I could leave them at school to fend for themselves. Or I could call my dad to pick them up. I could ask my husband to pick them up. There are lots of different options. I'm choosing this one. I'm choosing to pick my kids up. So here's the difference. When somebody says I should, when you say I should, when someone else says I should, we can should ourselves to death. I should eat healthy. I should choose celery. There's the secret. Imagine this little uh, person on your shoulder who's saying you should do this and the other one on the other hand, but you don't want to. That's what's happening. We're saying you should, but we're shooting ourselves. There is no should. It doesn't actually exist. You get to change that to could. Could is a space of possibility. Could is saying, here are all the things that are possible. Which one will I choose? But should comes from a space of judgment. So again, the content is the word should, but the context around the word, I should do this. Is someone told me or a belief that I have means this is what I'm choosing. But if you go to could, it means anything is possible. Here are all the different ways in which this could happen which will I choose? So when you hear somebody use the word should, really understand what is actually happening underneath that word. So when they say, I should do this, ask somebody, if, you, if that's you that's saying that, or you're listening to somebody else, you can coach yourself just the same way you can coach somebody else. Say, oh, I hear you. Are you open to feedback? Remember, that's our first step. We've talked about this on the show multiple times. If you have something that you want to offer to somebody, you get to ask, are you open to feedback? If they say no, shut your mouth. There's nothing. They're not even listening. It's a waste of your time. But if they say yes, so you get, get past that step. You get into the yes. You have the yes. And then you say, I heard you say should. Do you have to? Is this a, is this a life or death situation? Do you have to? Or are there other options? Most of the time when you're interrupting this for the first time, they'll say, no, I have to. I have to. If I don't pick up my kids, how in the world are they going to get home from school? They're just going to be sitting there by themselves. We say, oh, okay. All right. Are you, are you open to other possibilities? Well, I, mean, I don't know what other possibilities there are, but sure. So that might be how the conversation goes. Maybe how the conversation goes in your head. But if you're coaching somebody else, you can use this same pattern. So then, you, then let's just walk down the scenario. Keep going on it. We say, okay, well, what are all the different ways your children could get home from school? And then they go into, well, I could pick them up myself. I could call my husband. Now he's at work and that would never work or whatever their excuse is, totally get it. And it's still an option. I could call my dad. I could ask a neighbor to bring him home. Uh, so we can go down our list of how the kids could get home. They could walk, they could go on the school bus. So there could be multiple, multiple possibilities into how these kids can get home. So now instead of I should go pick up my kids, it's I could go pick up my kids. And then the next question, which will you choose? Because life is a choice. The game that we play in life is a choice. So now we get to pick. So simply shifting from the should to the could. Hear what I mean when I say the content of the words? 
is very different than the context. When we look at these words from a context perspective, we understand that there's a lot more going on here. So when you hear the word should, this is a great word to interrupt both in your mind and in other people's minds. So what we're watching for right now are the vocal fillers, and then we're watching for should versus could. I'm gonna give you a few other words. So along with the should and could, the have to versus get to. Same concept of should versus could. A lot of us walk around with martyr-like syndrome. Martyr-like syndrome. And what that means is, I am destined to a life of whatever I have to do. I have to go get groceries. I have to pick up my kids from school. I have to make my bed every day. I have to take a shower. I have to go to work. I have to pay my bills. I have to put gas in my car. I have to take my kids to their 50 million activities. I have to, have to, have to. So I can go on and on and on. Now, all of those things I don't have to do, and neither do you. Now, this gets a little bit sticky for a lot of us to understand, mostly because they're not choices that we would want to make. So for example, I have to pay my mortgage. Well, I mean, do I? Let's think about that. What happens if you don't pay your mortgage? You don't have to. Now, if you don't choose to pay your mortgage, and no one else chooses to pay your mortgage for you, then you'd probably be in default of your loan. If, if you have a loan on your house, you have a mortgage on your house. So then you're going to be, your, your house will eventually be foreclosed on. You'll have to leave your house at, and hear that word, have to. You'll have to leave your house. You'll then either get to stay with somebody else or you can live in your car in a van down by the river. <laughs> There's a movie about that, if you've heard about that. <laughs> and the whole point being, that is an option. If you don't wanna pay your mortgage, if you can't pay your mortgage and you don't have assistance, then that is an option. You don't have to buy food. If you choose to buy food, then you get to fill your body. If you choose not to buy food, then you're choosing to starve or you're choosing to get food from somewhere else. If you choose not to pick up your kids from school, as we talked about earlier, and you choose none of the other options, you're choosing that your kids will stay at school. So it is all about choice at the end of the day. And so the have to words put us in a position where we are forced, are handcuffed. Now, if someone's holding a gun to your head and saying, you have to pay your mortgage or I will shoot you, then there are extreme situations. Again, you can go to choice here. You could say, well, you didn't have to. You could have just accepted the bullet. I mean, this is, that's, I don't want to get any more details than that. And so that's an extreme situation. And that's not what we're referencing. We're saying in everyday situations, there are choice. There's choice. And so have to or get to really represents underneath. That's the context. But the context of it is victim versus responsibility. If you live in a have to world, it's living in somebody told me that I have to do this. I have to pay my mortgage. I have to buy food. I have to get my kids. Well, no, you don't have to. You really don't. It's just that the consequences of not doing that are not ones that we want to accept. So we put the label have to on it. But in reality, we get to. Now, there's another level that uh, oftentimes in our language we can get to. So have to versus get to, there's another level here, and that is blessed to. Now, very few people that I see in this world speak at this level. I have to 
I get to, I am blessed to. So I'm blessed to pay my mortgage. I am blessed to purchase food. Even that is, it's a, it's not even saying I get to, so I get to pay my mortgage. I get to buy food. It's I am blessed. I am so thankful that I get to pay my mortgage because when I pay my mortgage, it means that I get to live in my house for another month. When I am blessed to buy food, it means that I get to eat food of my choosing for another month. When I am blessed to do a load of laundry, it means that I get to put clean clothes on my body and my children's body. And so here's the difference between have to, I have to do a load of laundry. I get to do a load of laundry. I am blessed to do a load of laundry. And so those three levels, have to, get to, blessed to, are all choices. When you live in the have to space, what's underneath that is I have to, I am a victim to whatever choice somebody else made for me. I cannot change the situation because I do not have any ability to get to. I get to make this choice. I get to choose. No matter what the consequences is, I created it. I'm blessed to. I'm doing this. And even if it's something that I might not enjoy, cleaning my house, I am blessed to have a house to clean. So have to, get to, blessed to. Those are very important words and distinctions on this path of languaging. And when you hear somebody say have to, get to, or blessed to, you can see that they're come from what it is. Have to, get to, blessed to. Three very distinct places that somebody's coming from. So when you hear it, we don't get to make them wrong. Oh, Oh, she said I have to. She's a victim. I mean, that's not the space that we go to. We get to say, oh, okay, I get to understand more about that. So remember that, are you open to feedback? We ask that. Hey, notice that you said have to. Do you have to do that? And then just get curious, ask questions. So what you can hear in your own language or in someone else's language really reveals a lot about their come from, their position, their thought process. Now, somebody who grows up in an environment where they they barely scrape by to pay the mortgage. And now they're in a position where they're not scraping by. They may be in a position and saying, I am blessed to pay my mortgage. I hear this a lot with taxes. So taxes are very interesting. You listen to people talk about taxes. So the tax date that we get to pay, it's coming up here in the next few months. So there's a lot of people that are working on them right now. They'll say, oh, I have to pay my taxes. And yet there are people that say, I am so blessed to pay taxes because when I pay taxes, it means that I earned money. I earned so much money that now I get to pay it in. And so, yes, they're going to take a third of my, I get to give a third of my money or 20% or 10% or whatever that percentage is. I get to give that to the government because I am blessed to earn money. And yes, I give some to the government, but the rest of it, I get to keep. So I am blessed to pay taxes because it means I'm earning money. So you've got that mentality. And then you've got the, I have to pay taxes. Ugh. So here are the differences there. Have to, get to, blessed to. Very distinct. Understand the context underneath the language so that you can understand where someone else is coming from. Get curious and ask questions. Have to, get to. Now, the next one we're going to talk about here, we're going to talk about one more, and then we're going to go on a quick break. This one, (laughs) Yoda actually talks about this one a lot. So I'm borrowing this from Yoda. It is do or do not. There is no 
try. Yes, the word try, do or do not, there is no try. That word is used so much. And so in the content you hear try, but the context of that is, well, I'll give it my best, but you know, whatever happens, happens. And so there is this giant back door from a commitment perspective. I'm saying, well, I told you I would, but if it doesn't work out, that's cool. Versus I am committed. That's the difference, committed versus try. I am committed to this happening, whatever this is. I am committed to getting an A on my paper. I will try to get an A on my paper. Now, if my seventh grader or my fifth grader or my third grader, any of my kids, they come home from school and they say, hey, mom, guess what? I have a test tomorrow. I'll try to do my best. Now, seemingly that's innocent. Their content is there, but the context of it means, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I might study. I might not. We'll see. Versus I am committed to doing my best. Hear the difference? I'll try versus I am committed. I am committed means no matter what, I will do my best. I will study tonight. I will be prepared. I will do what I can to show up in my best. Versus I try. Well, mom, I tried, but, you know, uh, there was a really good show on TV and I watched that and then I got up and, you know, the dog needed to go for a walk. So I took the dog for a walk and, uh, yeah. Uh, it was it was busy, and then I went to school, and I didn't really have time to study. But I tried, Mom. I tried. And so here are the difference between try and commitment. Try and commitment. So when I hear the word try, I ask deeper questions. Okay, so what would it mean for you to try? Are you committed to whatever it is they're saying they're doing? Are they committed? Because try is a wishy-washy word. And this word is littered I mean, everywhere in our language. I was reading a book. Now, this has been a couple months. I was reading a book, and the first paragraph of the book had the word try in it. Well, this is interesting. So I got my red pen out. Yes, I have lots of red pens. And I circled the word in the book. And then I flipped to the next page, and there it was again. So now I thought, geez, I wonder how many times this word will appear in this book. It was a 300-page book. The word try appeared 367 times. Now, ironically, this was a book about commitment. This was a book teaching commitment, how to, how to be committed, and it had the word try 367 times. I say to my husband, you'll never believe this. This book is about commitment, and it has the word try 367 times. I'm going to send this book with the content, the circled words, and a little note about the context of try to the author. I, I was really not in a space of understanding. Let's go there. I was not in a space of understanding curiosity. I was more in a space of judgment. And I didn't ask the author if he wanted feedback. And so my husband says, well, you're just going to send this open letter to the author thinking that the author cares about your feedback without actually asking it. And as he put it that way, I realized that would be judgment and wouldn't work. So don't do that. <laughs> don't be like me in that case. I did not send the book. I just noticed it. And then I thought, well, I wonder how often this happens in other books. And so as I've been reading books for the past few months, I've been noting where the word try is used because this is littered in our language. So if we're going to make a commitment, a declaration, I will do this by this date. When I speak, I often ask my audiences to make declarations. And oftentimes what I hear is very wishy-washy declarations. Well, I'll try to make this happen. You know, by next week. 
Well, there's a difference between I will try and I am committed to making this happen. When I say I'm committed to making this happen, I'm going to make it happen. Now, can I always renegotiate? Sure, it's possible. If I don't believe that, it's, that something comes up and I have to renegotiate, have to, get to, listen to my words. So if something comes up and I'm renegotiating, that's okay. In the beginning, I am declaring my commitment versus try. Try saying maybe, eh, I don't know. So here the difference between try and commitment. We want to be committed. No trying. There is no trying. So we're going to eliminate that word from the vocabulary because of all the words that I'm telling you about, this one is like nails on a chalkboard for me. My invitation to you is to see how many times this word shows up in either your vocabulary or the people around you. So the day where you're interacting with a lot of people, get yourself a little piece of paper and a pen. A red one works really well. It's Valentine's Day today, so you can use red. So go ahead and check how many times the word try comes up. Give yourself a guesstimate beforehand because I am consistently blown away at the number of times this word comes up in our vocabulary. And yet it happens all the time. And so check that for yourself. See how many times that, that comes out of your mouth or the people around you. And then get curious. Say, what do you mean by try? Are you committed? And get easy. listen, just listen to what, what is said. Be really interesting because once you hear the content, remember content being the word try, and then you understand the context to which they're coming from, what you'll see is that try is a big back door. Try is a big back door. That word is a back door. It means that I will maybe someday, hopefully, create what I'm saying versus it's happening because I say so. That's the difference between try and commit. That's the difference between try and commitment. All right, friends, you are listening to The Kathleen Recent Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. We're going to go on a quick break. And when we get back, we've got more about language, what your communication patterns reveal about you. I will see you here in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Recent Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows, along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show. Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hello, and welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership here at Inspired Choices Network. And today we've been talking all about language, what your communication patterns reveal about you. We've talked about vocal fillers. We've talked about should versus could. We talked to you about have to versus get to versus blessed to. And we talked about my own personal favorite 
try. Oh, that word, hearing it makes me want to punch it if it was in front of me. Punch it. <laughs> the word try really indicates that back door, that opening, that little tiny crack that says, I don't really have to do this. And, and friends, we are really sneaky. And I don't mean we, I mean the emotional sides of us. We are sneaky, our mental sides. As soon as there's a sliver open, we will take it. And it's not that you're not committed. It's that we see that little sliver and say, oh, I don't have to. If something, something shows up, I'm going to slide through the door and open it up because it's there. So when we commit 100%, we shut the door and that can be really uncomfortable. And so we create these words that are really just empty words like the word try. So we get to eliminate those from our vocabulary because when you do, you'll notice that your only other option then is to commit. And then what happens is you don't wanna to commit to a whole bunch of things, so you start committing to less things. You've heard people say, say learn how to say no to opportunities. And no, I believe no is N-O, new opportunity. It just means next. There's something else that's bigger coming on. But when you commit to eliminating the word trying, then you will commit to the things that are important to you, not just everything. So there's a lot we could go into there. In the space of language, there's another word that I get to introduce to you. And it is why. The word why. Now, I personally love the word why. It's a beautiful word of the English language. And the word why often comes with judgment. Well, why? That's the content, but the context of it is, I wouldn't choose that. Why would you choose that? Why? You often hear, hear little kids say, why? But why, mom? Can I have five more minutes of TV? No. Why? They're saying, I don't agree with that. You give me an explanation as to why. Judgment. See, hear that? Little kids, again, give me an example. Think about that. My, my youngest, he'll be playing on his phone, and I'll say, Andrew, it's time for breakfast. Put your phone down. Andrew, you only get 30 minutes of technology time, and you've been on your phone for 45 minutes. But why, Mom? Well, Andrew, because technology time is only 30 minutes, and you've been on it for 45 minutes. But why? And usually when we're talking in the context of technology, what often follows is this is every other kid in third grade gets unlimited technology time. Yes, my children say this. They know it's not true, but yet they say this. Every other child gets unlimited technology time, but here in our house, I don't. All of that is underneath the why. The question that we can ask instead of why is, tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. So. Think of that in the context of my, if my nine-year-old would learn this, and he, I would say, Andrew, it's time to put your phone away. It's breakfast time. And he said, well, tell me more about that, mom. I would say, well, the, the food is warm. And if you choose to not show up at the table now, your food will not be warm. Or if he says, but every other kid gets 45 minutes of technology time, tell me more about why I have to stop. Then I would say, well, Andrew, because the rules at our house are 30 minutes and this is where you live. But mom, tell me more about how you chose that rule. So now I can get, he's getting curious. He's saying, well, why is that the rule? That's the judgment side. 
versus tell me more about this rule and how it got to be in place here. Now, little kids or nine-year-olds, they don't, they don't work. That brain doesn't process that way. It's not until you're 26 that your brain is really set in a way where you can be really critical about these questions because that is a critical thinking process. But you listening, this is a critical thinking process that you can walk through. It's a higher level thinking process where instead of saying why, you're saying, tell me more. Because why comes from the space of judgment, but tell me more opens up curiosity and gets to a point of, hey, let's uncover, let's unpack. You've heard perhaps we say that people are like onions and we're just peeling back the layers. When you ask, tell me more, we're peeling back a layer to get to what's underneath, peeling back another layer to get to what's underneath. Why is just explaining why the layer was there in the first place. So our job is to peel back the onion, but if we're just examining the layer that's already there, we're not really doing any work. We're just judging the layer that's there. So let's just say then an onion is colorful. You've seen purple onions. Let's just say there was a rainbow onion. Okay, Each layer was a different color. The first layer was red, the second layer is orange, third layer is yellow. So colors of the rainbow, each layer gets deeper and deeper. If I'm asking why, it would be like saying, why is this layer red? Versus tell me more about what the layers are underneath this onion. Well, what's the next layer? Oh, yellow, cool. Well, what's the next layer? Tell me more about that. Oh, okay, green, cool. So now we're peeling back the layers. But if we just say why, we're digging into judgment of the layer and we never get underneath. We never get to see the purple layer. We only see the red layer because we've never dug underneath. And so that's how we as humans approach our communication patterns. If we stay in the why zone, we don't really understand what's underneath. And usually that shuts people down. Attempt this with the people that you're in relationship with at work, at home, wherever, it doesn't matter. Just a human that you're in relationship with, use the words, the word why, and see their reaction. Typically they'll pull back because they will feel judged. Where if you say, tell me more, that's a lean in. So test this out. Don't take my word for it. Test this out and see what happens when you use the word why versus tell me more. Why judgment? Tell me more curiosity. We want to live in curiosity because that is where real human connection gets created. That is where we can create results. So working in a team, we want to create results. And so in the teamwork, whether it's at work or whether that is with a professional, you want to open up space where you can have deep conversations where you can really create these these incredible results and so go with tell me more what's in the way tell me more all kinds of the places that we can go from that space but from the why asking just the why question where do you go from there you know I, I don't know that gets challenging where do you go when somebody says well why 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 you can say it all different ways but at the end of the day it comes back to judgment. So watch in your language how often you're using the word why. And then you'll hear it in everyone else around you. When you shift your communication, then it opens up shifts in everyone around you. That's what's so cool about this. My 13-year-old, who's really at, at 13 starting to, to really fire, the, the synapses in his brain are really firing in a way where he's starting to understand these things. Again, you don't finalize your critical thinking until about 26, but he's in that process of developing the, the neurons that are firing. I'm using some of this neuroscience language. Really, I, 
don't think that I understand a ton of this. My dad, uh, as a neuroscientist, he speaks in this language and I've picked up a lot of it over the years. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. It's not that I'm a neuroscientist. It's not that I could even tell you intricate details of the brain, but because I've been around a neuroscientist and I've listened and observed, then I've picked up on these words and I can use them enough that I understand it to educate. Okay, now I'm not gonna teach a neuroscience class, but I can teach about, I can tell you about how the synapses fire or the neurons. And so what I'm talking about of when we switch these languages, our kids can pick up on these words. So my 13 year old, he doesn't say the word try. When he hears other people say try, he says, do or do not, there is no try. Shut your back door. <laughs> Makes me smile. <laughs> He'll call me forward if I use these words. When he says why, he says, stop judging me. My nine-year-old, oh, he says, stop judging me a lot. My 11-year-old, because we have, we have done a lot of these conversations with our children. We've had a lot of these. We, we didn't realize that uh, he actually has a lot of judgment, meaning he, he judges people. Now, a lot of us do. This is not something, it's actually a very common human trait. Um, my husband and I didn't realize this about him until we really started having deep conversations with him. And when he opened up to us, a lot of his language was in the space of judgment. And when we dug underneath it, we just kept having conversations like what we're talking about today. Tell me more about that. The judgment just kept coming up. And finally, we interrupted it. And we said, wow, you're being a judgy McJudgerson. Our experience of you is that you're a judgy McJudgerson. He did not handle that well. He's 11. And he didn't want to be considered judgy McJudgerson. But he realized what in his language was revealing that about him. Once he realized it, he could shift it. Now, and this was maybe two months ago that we had this conversation, three months maybe. Now he's hyper aware to it. And when those Judgy McJudgerson moments come up, we say, are you being Judgy McJudgerson? And we can say it in a laughing way, a very loving way. And he catches himself and he says, oh, <laughs> yep, okay. And so he's noticing where that's coming up. He's noticing these patterns. And that is so brilliant. <clears throat> Excuse me, because when our children or when anybody that we're in a relationship with at work, at home, when they notice these patterns, then they can shift them. When they notice them, they can shift them. But sometimes if, they have, if they're not listening to the show or they haven't heard somebody else talk about this or they haven't read it in a book, how would they ever know it? And so you, knowing this information, get to be the interruption, a loving interruption, but get to be the interruption to this language, not from a space of judgment, but from a space of curiosity. So when you hear the word why, you can say, hey, I hear you saying the word why. Uh, what would you think about asking the word, tell me more about this? So that's one way to handle it. And it, that may or may not be effective for you. What I have found is that if you just start asking tell me more about that in place of why, the people around you will pick up on that and then they'll start using that. They'll stop asking why and they'll start saying, tell me more about that. Just like I listened to my dad talk about neuroscience and I learned enough that I can use that language. This is the exact same thing. We'll start saying, tell me more about that instead of why. So you don't even always have to have a conversation about the shift. You just get to be the change. You get to be the one that asks the questions in a different way. You get to eliminate try from your vocabulary. You get to stop saying have to 
and move into the get to or the bless to. You get to eliminate the vocal fillers. You get to honor somebody else's pause. And when you do this, they'll start doing that. It's so beautiful how that works. So cool. So you can choose to interrupt it and support, which I, you absolutely can. I've seen that be highly effective. I, that's a tool that I use. And if that's not where you're at, just start by changing your words. Because when you do that, then other people around you will reflect that. Everybody around us is really just a reflection of us. They're really just a reflection of us. Now we can go a lot deeper into that. There's law of duality and all kinds of other, other uh, conversations and metaphysics level conversations that we could go into from there. And that is not the point of today's conversation because we're really talking about what our language reveals about us, what our communication patterns reveal about where we are. We're going to go on a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to tie all of this together. You're listening to the Kathleen Reeson show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on inspired choices network. I'll talk to you very soon. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. And today, we've been talking all about language, what your communication patterns reveal about you. Now, one of the things I want to share with you is that I, I've shared this before. I speak in front of a lot of audiences. And one of the things that I had this major off moment within the last six months, really, is that the audiences, when I speak, I speak using a facilitation style versus a speaking style. And the reason that I'm sharing this is the speaker style is more of I'm going to stand up on a stage and I'm going to deliver a message. So what I'm saying is that when I speak, what happens is that we can't predict what's going to happen in the the actual experience. So there may be stories that come out. There may be uh, anything could happen, but it's a experience. And throughout what it does is give us a lot of insight into what's happening with the people in front of in front of me. And so the shit that's happened for me is I used to stand in front of audiences and speak, and they were audiences that really I was brought together to inspire them, to just really lift them up, which is fine. That is, there are so many incredible motivational speakers, keynote speakers that, that can do that. And that is amazing. But when that happens, I've got all this information about the people that are in front of me, how they work together, how they don't work together, how they uh, interpret relationships, what gets in their way. And nobody really cares about that. The, the individual cares, but the meeting planner, that's not really what they've hired me to do. And so the aha moment was, well, who cares about this? Well, people that are running teams, that's very valuable information about what's in their way. And so realize that instead of speaking to a really wide audience, it was really important to speak to the audience that really is working together. So a team, a, a department, a, uh, a company, an organization that has a specific mission. Because when we 
do the exact same conversation that was happening on different stages. But when you can do that, you can understand these language patterns that are showing up. And then all that information that's collected, that really matters because that's about anything that's gonna stop you is gonna show up in these communication patterns. And wouldn't it be great if you knew what communication patterns were really stopping your company, your organization, your mission, it's all available to you. There's very simple tests that we can do to reveal this. One is just deep listening, but two, let's do it in a fun way. It's fun if you just, hey, went onto Zoom and recorded a minute of you talking so that we could answer this. That's not as fun for the team, but you can put them in really creative experiences for all of this to come up so that we can really understand what's happening with the team. And oftentimes after these experiences, these sessions, I'll meet with the executives and I'll say, hey, this is what I'm seeing. And they'll say, oh my gosh, you just put into words what's been bothering me for a year. Oh, thank you. And that is the power of deep listening and understanding that your language, how you're speaking and how you're acting directly relates to you. What reveals your communication patterns reveal a lot about you. So really think about that. If that's something that's interesting for your organization, if it could support you, then absolutely reach out. Kathleen at KathleenReason.com. Happy to support you with that. Now, next week, a show that's all about deeper into the communication files. I talked pretty high level today about promoter, supporter, controller, and analyzer, and how the vocal fillers play in, those power of the pause plays in communication styles. We are going to go even deeper tomorrow, or not tomorrow, week. We're going to go even deeper next week on those communication styles. So be sure to listen to that show. You can understand how communication styles are really driving how we show up. The very next week, we're going to talk about what do you do when you are leading somebody that's very unlike you? The one that makes you want to run away, that you don't want to interrupt because they're so unlike you, it makes you so uncomfortable. That's the show for you. So be sure to listen. We've got a really great lineup for the next few weeks. And I appreciate you listening today. I know we had a couple little breaks and fillers with our internet, but we got it all going. It is the value of internet radio, the, the space we're in today here in 2022. So just real quick to recap, one of the things that we really got to look out for when we're talking about communication patterns, understand the content are these words that we've been talking about, but the context is what's underneath them. So you get to really exercise some deep listening to understand what's really going on. Coming from curiosity, not look for the vocal fillers. Now notice that when vocal fillers are used, there are the people that don't want to have a power of a pause, so they insert vocal fillers. Other people we just mentioned don't interrupt them because they're uncomfortable with their pause. So when you have vocal fillers being used, that's the content and the context where it's coming from. Should versus could, could versus could, should is a have to, should is a obligation, it's an obligation versus could equals possibility. There are choices. So should versus could, have to, get to, bless to, have to, get to, bless to. When you hear that, either you're using those words or someone else is, have to, get to, bless to, understand the context that they're using it. Why do they think that they have to do something? Tell me more about that. Try, just don't use the word, but understand what's coming in behind that. Where is that back door? Where are we not being committed? And then why versus tell me more. Why versus tell me more. So all of these are really important distinctions to be using in your language. And you don't even have to interrupt somebody. That's next 
level to be able to interrupt somebody. If you're not there, that's okay. Simply shifting your behavior will shift the behavior of other people around you. Shifting language will shift the language of other people around you. So just know that. You don't have to interrupt somebody's language at this point. You don't have to. You simply just change how you're using these words, how you're interpreting it, how it's working for you. Because the, this language absolutely reveals about you. So when you change, people around you will change. It's such a beautiful concept. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. I will see you next week on the Kathleen Recent Show, Pushing the Back Leadership. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. Kathleen Reeson will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Kathleen Reeson will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Kathleen Reeson will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Kathleen Reeson will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Kathleen Reeson will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Kathleen Reeson will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Have a great week.